So we're gonna turn, turn the corner now to something completely different, though I feel like most weeks uh, somehow these two things come together and, and connect. We're gonna be uh, jumping back into the Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount for like uh, over a year now. Um, I'm not sure exactly because I wasn't even here when we started going through the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, it's been a long time. And we today are finally making it into chapter six. There's chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. Today we're, we're making it into chapter six, but don't worry. Uh, the, the next two chapters move a lot faster than the first chapter. So uh, we'll be wrapping this up sometime in the early fall. Um, but it's been great and it really has been a journey. I, I hope uh, for you as, as you've been processing, I mean, I think Aaron and I have made the joke like, we could just start over again once we finish it because there's just so much here and it's so important and, and uh, we, we need this. We desperately need um, the things that Jesus has to say to us in these, these short, three pass- or short three chapters. So uh, like I said, today we're going to be in chapter six. If you have a Bible, you can open up to that. I'll be reading it in a little bit. Um, but we're, we're at the point in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is, is dealing with our habits. So we introduced this idea last week that our habits shape us, okay? And we, we just kind of introduced uh, that idea, and we talked about our unintentional habits. So if you weren't with us uh, two weeks ago at our last all-family gathering, I do encourage you to give it a listen, because that really set the, the groundwork for what we're going to talk about now for the next two months as we talk about the habits that Jesus invites us into. Okay, so that's what we're doing today. Um, uh, to begin, I want you to think uh, about someone in your life, hopefully you have someone in your life, whom has a, who has a relationship with Jesus that you really admire. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a, a mentor type figure. Uh, they are, this person is mature, they are devoted in their faith, they have this deep inner peace, and, and they're just a great person to be around. They're patient and present, they listen well, they, they really seem to care about what you're saying, and, and they're always thinking about others. As far as you can tell, this person thinks, talks, and acts like Jesus pretty much all the time. Now, if you were to sit down with this person and take a look under, like, open up the hood and, and take a look at what's going on underneath the surface, it's more than likely that this person over the years has de- developed a series of habits or practices that have formed them into the person that you admire, the person that you uh, would like to emulate yourself. The same is true for our relationships. If you are married or maybe soon to be married or or hope to be married someday, uh, maybe there's a couple in your life who you look up to and you admire the strength and the faithfulness and and the, the friendship that they have formed in their relationship. If you were to sit down with this couple it's more than likely that they, over the years, have developed practices and habits and rhythms as a couple that they engage in that has made them or that has formed this relationship that you really admire and and desire for yourself. Uh, so, So like I said, last All Family Gathering, we introduced this really important idea. I mean, whether or not you, you follow Jesus, like this is an important idea that we need to understand that our habits they form us, they shape us, they shape who we become, whether intentional or unintentional, the things that we do repeatedly do something to us, okay? When we understand, uh, we, we understand this like when it comes to things like athletics, 
right? Or, or, or lifting weights or music or art, okay? You don't just become an excellent athlete because you decide one day you're going to be a great athlete. You don't just become an excellent musician because you decide one day that you, you want to be an excellent musician. You become that way after years and years of intentional habits and practices that form you into what you desire to become, right? So we understand this. Jesus understands this as well. And that's why, as we talked about last gathering, he follows up, he, he, he follows up this command to become who you were made to be. If you read Matthew 5, verse 48, it says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. I'm not going to, we spent 20 minutes kind of processing this. I'm not going to go in it, into it again at this moment. But basically what he's saying is become the person that God has made you to be. Become, be, a, be a reflection of God's image into the world in your particular time and place. So he says this, and then, and then he, what does he follow that up with? A series of habits. Okay, so how do we become that person that he's calling us to be? Well, it's by our habits. That's what Jesus is, is getting at here. So he follows this up with three habits, and it's the three habits we're going to spend the next three gatherings on. So those are generosity, prayer, and fasting. Okay, generosity, prayer, and fasting. We're going to focus on that last one today. And I don't know about you, but if I were to list the three habits that are most important to the Christian life, I probably wouldn't pick these three. I'd probably say something like, you know, go to church, read your Bible, and then prayer. Okay, generosity is like advanced Christianity, and fasting is just crazy. Like, why would you do that, right? I, I mean, you look at the average Christian today, and it's like, that, that's, these three don't seem to be the foundational habits that, that we practice ourselves. But for Jesus and his followers, these are foundational habits. That's why he says when, you, when he tells us to become who we are made to be, he says, here are the things that you would do to become that way. Here are the habits. Okay, so let's, let's read our passage. We're going to be, again, in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read for you verse 1. It will be up on the screen. And then we'll read verses 16 through 18. We're kind of reversing these. We're going to start with fasting. Um, and then we'll kind of go backwards over the next few weeks. So Matthew, uh, you can put it up on the screen, Eli, if you don't mind. Um, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive in here. Uh, Father, as we just process your word together over these next few moments, God, I pray that you speak to each one of us. Um, this is a concept that I'm sure none of us have thought about recently, certainly not in the last day. So, um, yeah, God, I just pray that you'll open our eyes and our minds to what you have for us today and uh, that this could be really a transformational uh, thing for each one of us as we consider what it means to follow after Jesus um, with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 and 16, verses 16 through 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting." 
but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right. So the first thing I want you to notice um, here is how Jesus talks about this practice. And he does this for all three of the habits that we'll talk about. He says, when you fast. Okay, not if you fast, but when you fast. So Jesus, he just assumes that if, if you are following after him, you are going to be practicing these habits. You are going to be practicing generosity. You are going to have a regular prayer life. You are going to fast. That's what Jesus is, is assuming here. And just like shooting practice, you know, you go out to the court and you shoot a basketball. It's foundational to being a basketball player or practicing your scales is foundational to being a musician. Uh, for, for a follower of Jesus, at least in Jesus's day, the, the mindset was these are foundational practices for this sort of life that we are being called into. Well, this creates somewhat of a challenge for us. It does for me. I'm sure it does for many of you, because my guess is that most of us, for most of us, our issue is not that we're fasting and then we're letting everyone know that we're fasting, right? And we're trying to get a lot of attention for our fasting. That's probably not your issue. You all look well-fed and, and happy. And, you know, I would assume, unless you're just already following this, you know, you're just probably not fasting. And, and you wouldn't be alone in that. There's actually, it's, it's somewhere around 98% of American Christians don't fast regularly. So you're in the majority. And, and I'm there with you. But what we need to do, I think, is we need to get out of this modern Western bubble and realize that if we were to look throughout the history of the church and across the world, for the vast majority of Christians that have existed, fasting has actually been a very foundational practice, okay, very foundational. And it is only in the last uh, you know, couple hundred years here in, in our particular little bubble of Christianity that it has really taken, taken a backseat to a lot of other things. Um, so I think what we need to do is we need to, we need to back up a bit and simply define what fasting is. Okay, when Jesus says, when you fast, what is he actually talking about? Okay, so here's how I've thought about fasting for most my life. I remember back in high school, I went to a large church. We were just visiting a large church in the Chicago suburbs. And during that particular sermon, the pastor told the origin story of the church. And it basically went like this. Okay, after years of renting a local high school, um, the, the congregation was growing rapidly and they needed to purchase a building of their own to, to fit everyone. And one day the pastor noticed a large vacant warehouse and he believed that that, that was going to be the building that God provided for them. So he reached out to the owner of the building and he made an offer and the owner rejected it. So the pastor, he begins, this, this, um, he begins to go into this period of time where he fasts and, and does prayer walks around the building every single day. And a few weeks later, something like that, I don't remember the exact details, he reaches out to the owner again, places another offer, and the owner accepts. Okay, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, obviously simplifying the story, uh, but the moral of the story, at least in the way I received it, was uh, that God provided this building uh, in response to this pastor's prayer and fasting. Okay, and that, for me, was, was really most of what I heard, the main way that I had heard fasting talked about throughout most of my life. And it is a way to show God how serious you are about whatever it is that you are 
praying about, and your faithfulness or your sacrifice will cause God to be more likely to respond. Okay, so just, just to survey the room, like, is that kind of what you've heard about fasting, or is that off? Yeah, generally, that's kind of what you heard, and, and they might not talk about it exactly in that way, but most of the stories I had heard, uh, that, that's kind of what the message was. So fasting in this way um, and, and it's often referred to as a breakthrough fast, uh, and there's books written about and all that. But fasting in this way is results-oriented, okay? I fast so that God will respond in a certain way. There will be a result, okay? It is transactional. If I make the sacrifice to abstain from food, I expect God will, will reward that sacrifice or at least respond in a way that he wouldn't have otherwise. So it's transactional. Okay, and, and though there are all sorts of problematic places this can lead, and we could get into that, the, the big thing I just want to focus on is that's just not how fasting is talked about in the Bible. It's just not biblical. And, um, you know, fasting is mentioned quite a bit in the Bible, about 80 times, which is more than a lot of other things that we talk about quite a bit. Um, and though it's never explicitly defined, there are plenty of examples that teach us really all we need to know about it. So here's just a few stories um, from the Bible. The first example of a fast comes in Exodus 34, second book of the Bible. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and the presence of God shows up and gives Moses this co uh, covenant agreement in which God says, you will be my people and I will be your, your God. So this is a really important moment where Moses as the representative of the people of Israel is meeting with God and God is saying, you are the people through which I will engage with the world. And, and what does Moses do in response to that? Well, in Exodus 34, verse 28, it says, Moses remains there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. He responds to this encounter with God by fasting. A similar story happens, and you may be familiar with this. It's right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus has this life-defining moment where he's baptized in the Jordan River and the presence of God comes down on him and God says, this is my son whom I love and who brings me great joy. And what does Jesus do immediately after that? He goes into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. And there are many other examples um, all through scripture that communicate a really important truth about fasting. And, and that is that in almost every instance, fasting is a response. Fasting is a response. We often think of fasting as a way to get a response, okay, results-oriented. But in the way that the Bible talks about fasting, it, it is a way that we respond to God. So it's not a way that we get a response from God. It's a way that we respond to God. You, you hear the distinction there. And it's really important. So... Um, I'll break this down a little bit. Scott McKnight, um, he wrote a book on fasting, and it's up on the screen there. It says fasting, this is how he defines fasting. He says fasting is a person's whole body natural response to life's sacred and grievous moments. It's a whole body natural response to life's sacred and grievous moments. Fasting is a way that we connect with God's heart. It is a way that we physically embody a longing for things to be the way that God intended for them to be. It's a natural response when we're faced with the brokenness in the world or in our lives or, or in the lives of those around us. 
It is a way that we draw our attention to, to the new creation, which is often described as a feast. Okay? So um, this is why uh, for the Jewish people, they would have rhythms throughout the year of fasting and feasting. And so they have seven feasts throughout the year, and they have fasts that kind of coincide with that. And what they're doing there is they are, they are embodying the tension that we are called to live into as God's people. Something we've talked about a lot with, with one foot standing in the world that, that is broken and, and where there is pain and where, where things are not the way they ought to be. And then one foot standing in the kingdom where God is restoring things and making things whole and there's goodness and abundance and, and love. And we stand in this tension. And so, so for the Jewish people, they understood that tension. And one way they embodied that was by fasting and feasting. Okay, so if you, if you think about it in that way, I think, at least I've, I've experienced this recently as I've experimented with this, it, it's become such a powerful way to connect with, with our calling and our purpose in this world. You know, we be, we've become so skilled at distracting ourselves from the pain and the brokenness around us, but by doing that, what, what happens is we lose sight of, of the healing and the restoration that God is doing around us. If we're not in touch with the deep brokenness around us, it's very hard for us to see when things are actually being made whole. So fasting is a conscious decision to embody that pain and brokenness around us and within us so that we don't miss the healing and the restoration that God wants to do. Okay, so Scott McKnight, he lays it out like this, and, and this is the picture of fasting that we're giving in the Bible. He says that life is full of um, moments that cause us to face the distance, cause us to face the distance between us and God or the world as it is and the world as God intended it to be. So when we're faced with this moment, he calls it uh, a sacred or a grievous moment. Okay, he says that in his, in his uh, definition there. It's a sacred moment. Now, this could be an a encounter with the presence of God. This could be um, uh, a, a facing death or loss. This could be facing the sin in the world, the brokenness in the world. This could be uh, illness, natural disasters, uh, relational strife and conflict, war, um, uh, uh, what else? Needs, poverty or, or, or housing needs or, or food scarcity. It could be a threat to life or safety. We see that a lot, a lot in scripture. And when people are faced with moments like these, where they see the distance between themselves and God or the world as it should be and the world as, as it is, the natural response that we see in Scripture, the natural response to that is fasting. It's fasting. We see it over and over throughout Scripture. Now, sometimes... There is a result to that. Sometimes in scripture we see that, that actually something comes from that. So occasionally we'll see results. Or not, not occasionally, but, but a fair amount. You'll see, you'll see results to that. Okay, and that could be um, a greater encounter with the presence of God. It could be 
renewed life. It could be forgiveness or, or a realization of your forgiveness. It could be healing. All right, and we see these things that, that, that we face, and, and then you begin to recognize or see, or God breaks in, and we see restoration. We see, we see things come. But the, be, the important thing to note, and, and what I'm trying to get at here, um, is that in the Bible, fasting is always done as a response. Okay, it's always done as a response, not to get a result. In other words, fasting is always A to B, okay? And it is... At times, A to B to C, but in the Bible is never done B to C. Does that make sense? Fasting in the Bible is never done in order to get a result or because uh, or, or for the purpose of result. It's always done as a response to something, and oftentimes God breaks in. So this, this for me, I don't know about you, but this for me um, was, was a, a big shift in my thinking around this practice. And as I began to, to engage in this, it was about a year ago I began to experiment with this, first time I'd ever really, really tried it. Um, I was really actually shocked at the, the way it uh, affected me and changed the way I see the world and changed the way I see God. And so I just want to, in close here, I just want to share three kind of implications of fasting that I've experienced. And, and I think that uh, this would be in line with what, what most of you would experience as well. So this will be up on the screen as well. So the first thing is self-forgetfulness, self-forgetfulness. Tim Keller, he talks about um, that the essence of Christian humility is not thinking of yourself uh, less of yourself, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Okay, you got that? It's not thinking less of yourself. We think of humility as, as often like, thinking more negatively about yourself. It's actually just thinking of yourself less. You forget about yourself. You don't focus on yourself. And this might seem counterintuitive that fasting would actually lead to this because you're hungry, you're thinking about, you know, when you're going to get to eat next. But as you practice it more, what ends up happening is this thing that, that really consumes so much of your day, eating food, where you're going to get your next meal, all this stuff, you now just don't have to think about it. And you become so attuned to others and what's going on around you, what God's doing around you. So there's self-forgetfulness that happens when you practice fasting. The second thing is attunement to God, okay, attuned to God. In 1 Kings 19, the prophet, the prophet Elijah, he had been traveling through the wilderness and fasting for 40 days. And he does this in response to, to God uh, showing up in a powerful way. And he ends up on top of Mount Horeb where he hears, I love this story, he hears the voice of God. But what happens is, is it's not in this, this great windstorm that tears up the mountain. The Bible says this windstorm comes by, but God wasn't there. And then it says this earthquake, this great earthquake shakes the ground, but he didn't hear God in the earthquake. And then the, a great fire surrounds him and, and tears through the wilderness, but God was not in the fire. And then after all that settles, he hears a gentle whisper. And it's God's voice. So fasting, after 40 days of fasting, he is able to hear God in the whisper. So often um, does God speak in whispers, but we're too busy and our, our lives are too loud and our minds are too cluttered to hear his voice. Well, fasting as a practice, it slows us down to what God is doing and makes us more attentive to his voice that comes often in whispers. 
Lastly, and, and, and Brooks and Coburn, you can come up here to lead us in worship. Uh, the last thing that I, I've experienced in my journey with fasting is, is it makes you uh, more missional. And that's what we talk about a lot here. So think about the last time, this is just one example, think about the last time a coworker or a neighbor opened up to you about something painful in their lives or, or some trauma or something that they had been going through. I don't know about you, but, but it's so easy for me in that moment to like to be with them in that moment, but then just move on to the next thing. Okay, and, and go on with my life and kind of forget what, what my neighbor is even going through. And then I recall it later when I see them or whatever. Um, we, we do this all the time and we don't intend to forget about the pains of those around us, but, but we often do. Maybe we just don't know how we can help or maybe we're too distracted by life and other things we have going on. Maybe we're uncomfortable with the pain and we just we can't bear to sit with it um, with our neighbor in it. But what if the next time someone shared something deep and vulnerable with you, you were, you were compelled to fast? You don't need to tell them. You don't need to tell anyone else. But you just in, in mourning with them or, or wanting to be with them in their pain and brokenness, you embody it through this period of fasting. I, I guarantee you that you would be a lot less quick to forget about what your neighbor's going through and what they're experiencing. And I, and I would say, you know, how much more would you, would you be thinking about them? How much more would you be praying for them? How much more would you hear God's voice about how you could come alongside them in their pain and, and, and in, their, in their mourning and, and care for them or, or, or maybe even bless them? We're so much more attuned to the things that are going on around us when we do this. And, and that's a big reason why I think Jesus invites us into it. So fasting, it can be it can be an incredible missional practice. It's not just a spiritual thing. You're actually embodying uh, the, the, the longing of this world and the longing of our neighbors. And, and you are looking ahead to what you know that God is going to do. So how do we, how do we practice this? Um, you know, I'll be honest, I don't expect us all to leave here and, and fast tomorrow. I suggested to Aaron, maybe we'll just skip the potluck, but we're not going to do that. Forced fasting is not in scripture, I'm pretty sure. Um, but here's what I would ask you to do. As, as we enter into this time of worship, um, we're going to play a few songs. And, and I, I invite you to just sit with the Father and, and reflect on this. And, and just simply ask the question, God, what do you want me to do? How, how should my life look if I'm going to be following after Jesus? And, and does fasting... Does this practice play a role? It might not for everyone. I, I don't think that Jesus is like mandating that we do this, but I do think he's given it to us for a very good reason. So just ask, and maybe God will compel you uh, to experiment with it. And, and there's a lot of resources that can help you in that. Um, I obviously did not give you a how-to guide today. I'm just trying to introduce it. Um, but... But yeah, I would just consider and, and ask God to, to speak to you in that way. We never want to leave this place without, without some way that we are going to respond to God's voice. Okay, otherwise, like, we don't need to show up. Like, we come to this place because we believe that God has something for us, that he's going to speak to us, that he's going to challenge us. It might have to do with something that was said. It might have be something completely different. But I expect you, or I, I, I encourage you, just to sit with the Father in this moment. So whether you need to stand during this next song or sit, or move around, or whatever you got to do just to hear the voice of God. Um, I encourage you to, to do that. 
um, and then we'll come to the tables during the second song. Ooh. 